You waking him up for this? We now can mark um, 42 years. It's the 42nd anniversary of my Bar Mitzvah Pasha. And as we know that we tell the children, Tara tells us the commandment of teaching the children... Tzedek says, "Vidibarta bom." You should speak to them, and bom, as we know, is gematria forty-two. So forty-two years is a milestone, high water mark, and it's much higher than the weather we have outside. Um, I got an email someone voiced a little complaint about the shear <laughs> they said Rabbi you used to tell more jokes we're missing the jokes out over here I must tell you it's highly unlikely I'm going to answer your prayers today. Much too much to talk about. Pash B'Shalach, as we know, the Jewish nation, after centuries of servitude in Egypt leave the land to the promised land Pasha is quite a large Pasha between the journey the journey leaving Egypt the adventures by the Red Sea the Reed Sea the splitting of the sea the Mon the Slav Shabbos Melchemes Amalek the war with Amalek Wow! How full is that? What a full, full Pasha. They have programs sometimes. They give you, because a special event, special time, they give they a lot extra time for this program. Instead of the program just going on for one hour they make a special, the two hour special. And sometimes you have a marathon, a three hour special. So ladies and gentlemen, fasten your seatbelts, we're in for a three hour year.
No, it's only a threat. I often say that um, when I give a shear or a speech to a crowd, I monitor my crowd to see how they're looking, how they're listening, how they're tuning in or tuning out. And um, generally, the first time I see an eyelid droop, I cut my speech. I'm not going to impose on people to keep them awake. And even more so when the eyelid that droops is mine. I definitely quit quick. Quit quickly. Said it many times, but it's only apropos to repeat it because it's something that's so, so pertinent to our daily life. The Chazal tell us that there are two Lishonis. There are two expressions. There's the expression that's used Vayihi and it came to pass. And also the Torah tells us Vehoya and it came to pass. The word Vahoya is referred to when it is a happy moment and Vayihi is when it's a sad moment time <coughs> when we discuss the Jews leaving the exile of Egypt it's only polite it's only proper to use the expression Vehoya, and it was it came to pass that the Jews now were leaving Egypt and they were going out of exile and they were heading to the Holy Land and they were going to get the Torah but yet the Pasuk begins, the Torah begins, the Pasha, Vayihi Bishalach Parayasam. It was an ace tzara. What kind of tzara was it? The Jews were leaving Egypt. And the answer the Pasuk tells us is Vayihi Bishalach Paray. It came to pass the Jews left Egypt because Parai evicted them. After all these years and being told by the Almighty that they're coming now to the Holy Land, being told by the Almighty they're going to receive the Torah, they should be ecstatic to leave Egypt. But instead, they were, ne- they were re- reluctant and only because Parai Bishalach, Parai Parai, literally drove them out of the country, only because of that did they leave. This, therefore, is Vayihi Elosh Tzara. In the duration of the parasha, Another thing that we've mentioned very often. Sorry? What am I doing with this? It's nothing. We know when the Jews crossed the Yamsuf. 
And the salvation is now clearly at hand. The Torah tells us, Oz Yoshir Moshe. Then Moshe sang. <coughs> All it should really say is Yoshir Moshe B'nai Yisrael. The Jews and the and Moshe sang. Why is it say? Why does it add the word Oz? Then, at that time, what happened at that time that caused, besides the crossing of the Amsuf and the miracle of the splitting of the water, what was the cause, the direct cause to the Yashir Moshe, to the Moshe and the Jews singing? So let us therefore examine the Pasuk. And the Pasuk immediately prior to Oz Yashir is Vayaminu Bashem Uvemeshe Avdei. And they believed in the Almighty and in Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu, if we recall, when the Almighty approaches him and says, Go take the Jews out of Egypt, he says, Who am I? They will not listen to me. They will not believe me. Moshe says. And immediately he was punished for blaspheming. He was punished for Lashon Hara. He was punished for Lashon Hara. Do not speak ill of the Jews. Someone on Skype, please mute your microphone because you're disturbing others on Skype. They don't hear. So if your microphone is on, please mute your microphone so that everyone else can hear. Thank you. And they believed in the Almighty and Moshe. Now that Moshe saw and heard, no, 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 no. Moshe saw and heard that the Jews actually do believe in him, he is now able to repent properly. For when he said prior, Heim Minuli, when he spoke Lashon Hara on the Jewish nation, he spoke illy, ill of the nation. Therefore, Oz Yashir Mesha. Then he was given the right to sing. Because then he was told, now that you admit, now that you see your mistake, now that you see what you said about the Jews was not right, not correct, now you can repent and you can now sing praise to the Almighty. There was a Jew, a fine Jew, a learned Jew, a very scholarly learned Jew, who once came to the Holy Baal Shem Tov. And he asked the Baal Shem Tov to teach him the art 
of the language of the birds. And the Bashemta refused and refused, but he was relentless and he kept knocking on the Bashemta's window. He stood outside the Bashemta's window, though, no matter what the weather was, knocking and knocking on the window, so the Bashemta will acquiesce to allow him to learn this knowledge. Finally, the Bashemta opened his window and said, You have to understand. There are major consequences involved. You don't want to pay the price. And he said, no, I am prepared for anything. If so, said the Baal to have come. And he entered the home of the Baal and the Baal spent a month's time teaching him the secrets of the language of the birds. And then one more week to prepare him to go out and to be able to hear out what goes on. And as he came to the forest and he was listening to the wonderful sounds and chirps of the birds that represent each chirp, represents another letter. He hears the birds talking. Birds have flown throughout Europe. What happened in France yesterday? What happened here? What happened there? And then finally he hears the bird saying, and by the way, Yaakov, this man, his house is going to burn down tomorrow. Immediately he ran home. And he told all his servants to be very, very careful, no one is to light a fire. There is to be no fire lit in the house. And they kept to it all night long, all day long, 24 hour vigilant. And after the 24 hours, they saw indeed that the house did not burn. And here he was all snug and proud. He actually paid off. It paid off for him to know the language of the birds. And he continued on his journeys. And again, a week or so later, A week or so later again, he hears the birds talking about what happened here, what happened there, and finally, the birds say that tomorrow there will be a storm and Yaakov's ship will sink. Obviously, he was very distraught, very worried. He immediately took a horse and wagon and he ran to the docks where his ships were docked. And at the dock, he told the ship, he told his captain, 
none of my ships are to leave tomorrow to sea. And lo and behold, all his ships stayed in the dock. All the ships that went out that day, there was a terrible storm at sea, and all the ships indeed sunk. <coughs> Again, he was proud and snug for knowing the language of the birds. And a week or so later, again, he listening, listening to the birds chirping and listening to their conversation, he hears this mention and that mention of this country and of that nation, and then finally he hears, and tomorrow, Yaakov is to die. Now he's devastated. What can he possibly do to prevent his death? There's only one solution. He grabbed his horse and he traveled as quick as he could to Mezhubuz to come to the Bashemtov. And as he entered the quarters of the Bashemtov, the Bashemtov says, Vosal of the Zodan, what should I tell you? In heavens there was a decree that you should die. However, You were given someone's mic still needs to be muted. Still disturbing. You were given the opportunity to lose your house. Losing your house instead of your life in heaven decided it'd be fine. But you didn't lose your house. You saved it. So they said, okay, you'll lose your money. Your ships will sink. But you sh- you saved your ships as well. So now finally the decree has to be put into motion. Yaakov begged and pleaded with the Bashem HaKadosh. And finally the Bashem said, perhaps, perhaps. Okay, I don't know why you can't hear. I'm trying to... I'll try to bring it closer. Perhaps if you give away your entire fortune... No problem. If you give away your entire fortune... Then perhaps the decree would be abolished. And that was ultimately what he had to do. Still somebody on Skype with his mic on. (laughs) And therefore we see the importance of believing in the tzaddik The importance of understanding what the tzaddik is telling us. The door. Abinayisal holchu bayabosha b'seich hayom, the Pasuk tells us. 
the Jews walked in the dry land in between the water, in the, in the sea. Now it's a very, very strange way of putting the Pasuk. If the Pasuk would say, if the Pasuk would only say, that they went across on the dry land, it makes sense, they walked on dry land. But how could you say, B'Sei Hayom, that it was in the water? And what is it relevant to us? The relevance here is that the Yamsav split and the Jews got to the other side. The relevance of them walking in the Yamsav is not anything that has to affect us. But the truth is, no. That, he says hello, Adam says back hello. That we have to find ourselves, we have to cause ourselves in cause and effect that we cross the Yamsav daily. That we cross the Yamsuf in our own ways. <coughs> the Chazal tell us the Gemara Mesech Tzchulin, Daf Kuf Chav Zayin Amar Aleph One Twenty Seven Side One. If you're going to look it up, the Gemara says, "Kol Sheyesh Bayabosha Yesh Bayam." Whatever there uh, there is on the land, there is in the sea. The fact that we don't see this, because what's in the water is hidden from the eyes of the human. So therefore, we see that the water represents what's hidden, what's covered up. And the dry, the earth, the land, is for what's revealed to the eye. This is the lesson in the person's daily service to the Almighty. A person has to turn over Hafach Yom Layabosha. Whatever is in the concept of Yam, whatever the person does not see, should be totally revealed, and the person should be able to open this up, open the eyes of everyone around him, so that it should reach to a level of Ayabasha. The Neshama of each and every Jew is attached, and is one with the Almighty. At all times, But during davening, during prayer, when the person awakens and there's a shalheves of age, the flame of fire, to attach oneself to the Almighty, and there are times they tell of chsidim and of rabbeim that literally 
expired during tefillah, although they returned after. But this is something that each and every one of us can reach. But once they finish their davening, they finish that they finish their prayer. This yearning to be one, the oneness with the Almighty, tends to re- revert back into the hidden form. This is therefore the Kriyas Yamsuf. The person has to cause within himself the awakening that he has during tefillah, that he has during time of prayer. And this same yearning to be one with the Almighty should happen throughout the day. It shouldn't be hidden and revert into, into within a concealed fashion. He should constantly be yearning and constantly be, sh- be visibly affected by this yearning for the Almighty, to become one with the Almighty. <coughs> As we said before, this is a very action-packed parsha. The mon, slav, The Jews arrive after Kriyas Yamsov to a place called Mara. Vayavayu Marasa. And you couldn't drink the water, it was too, too bitter. And because the water was bitter, it was called Mara. Because of the bitter water. We know in Chabad it's not usually done, but. In many, many synagogues, they sing the famous song, Eitz Chaim Hi Lamachazikim Bo, Me'ushar. We say it by Vizayis HaTayra, when we lift the Sefetayra, by Hagba. But many sing it by the Aaron Kedish, by Father of Shalom, being a chazan. Had several renditions of Eitzchayim He. What is the Eitz? What is the tree? The tree is the tree of life, which represents Torah. Mayim also represents Torah. Ein Mayim Ela Torah says. And we know back in the Yosef, the story of Yosef, the ditch was empty with no water, and Rashi tells us, There's no water, therefore there are snakes and scorpions. And the Chazal tells us that it refers to, if a person's mind is not occupied with the water of Teda, everything else tends to enter. So what did the Jews do when they came to Mara? They threw a tree into the water. And the water became sweet. 
and they were then able to drink from the water. A little story that's practically brushed under the carpet because the Pasha is so, so rich. Pasha is so full of so many other things. Let us take another almost overlooked portion of the Pasha. The Pasuk tells us that after the Jews come out of the Yamsuf, the Yisamesha Yisrael Yamsuf. Mesha got the Jews moving from the Yamsuf. The Medrash tells us, the Medrash Tanchuma, and Rashi also says this, he's Sion Balkorchon. He physically had to force them away from the Yamsuf. What was going on here? They, they're through. <coughs> Egyptians are gone. They want to move on. Why are they standing still? Moshe had to force them to leave the Yamsuf. Please leave the area. Yeah, okay. Nothing to see here. No lifeguards. There's no lifeguards, correct. <laughs> Chazal tell us. Our sages tell us what happened. Wait, we got a message here. Come on, guys, don't put the messages here. Text me instead. It's easier. <laughs> yes, that is one of the lessons. You cannot escape your destiny. The Almighty has your destiny. You have to follow it. No, but the lesson really from that story was that you have to listen to the tzaddik when he tells you what's good for you and not. We know we can't escape our destinies. Um... Moshe had to force them away to Ghazal tell us what was going on there. The Jews were collecting. <laughs> they were collecting Bizas Hayom. Nope. The Jews had a little bit of an issue. <laughs> Only a little bit. The average Jew suffers from this. It's called paranoia. Look it up in a dictionary. Or Google it. <laughs> Actually, someone said a uh, a father was visited by his college student son, and the son came into the father's library, and he never visited the father in the library. He used to sit and talk to the father in the house. They always sat in the house. Nobody ever went into daddy's library. And he came into his father's library and he saw Encyclopedia, the Encyclopedia Britannica. I don't know if you know, it's quite, a, quite an amount of volumes for those who have it. He looks at his father and he says, Wow, someone bothered themselves to print it all out? Today's days, it's all on Dr. Google, Rabbi Google, Mr. Google. <laughs> Someone bothered to print out the whole encyclopedia? Well, the little child that was looking at a magazine, one of these Finger Hut or something like that, where you can order these things for cheap, 
The child's looking through, flicking through all the different things, the games, the toys. He says, Daddy, look at this. This is almost as good as the computer, but here you can see it. <laughs> you can order here, you can make a phone call. Almost as good as ordering online. The Jews have always the paranoia. They cross the Yamsuf, and they know the Egyptians were chasing them. We're not going to discuss what went on on the first side of the Yamsuf before it split, why it split, how it split. Let us, we're on the other side of the Yamsuf already. The Jews were being chased by the Egyptians. There was mass hysteria. The sea miraculously split and the Jews reached to the other side. The Egyptians were in pursuit. And as the Egyptians were in pursuit, they entered the same place that the Jews just marched across. Obviously the ground was no longer dry, it became wet already. And as all the Egyptians were right in the middle, boom, they got swept away by the water as it returned to its natural status. <coughs> the Jews did not see that. They didn't see this part. They just know that the water is back in flowing and the Egyptians are somewhere. And they were told the Egyptians are drowned. They were skeptical. So the Almighty tells the Yamsuf, spit them out. Spit out the Egyptians. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever seen the way these chariots used to travel. But these people that used to travel in the chariots were well armed. And they also used to to bring on the, the fear, I guess, of the people to f- make the person feel inferior to them. Their armor and their form of clothes, dress that they went through was full of jewelry. The chariots were full of jewelry. The horses were decked with jewelry. An average horse, chariot, and rider were worth, uh, I'd say today on the day's market, about $150,000 easily. Nah, much more. Now, they all drown. And they get spit out in front of the Jews, so the Jews see they're dead. But there's tons and tons of diamonds and jewels and everything that they were wearing. Ah! Let's get it. This is known as Bizas Hayom. You have to go to the archives to hear the discussion we, we explained once. The connection, one of the connections of the Haftorah with the Pasha is directly connected with this part of the fact that the Egyptians were spit out. (laughs) What were they thinking? 
For the Bizas Hayam, they're not going on, they're not moving forward. To collect these jewels, that's what's keeping up the Jewish nation from moving on, forging ahead. Let us revisit the splitting of the Red Sea, of the Reed Sea. The Almighty shows the Jews the greatest possible spiritual revelations. So much so, refers to someone pointing with their finger. They were able to point with their fingers and see this is God. They saw God. So much so that it says that Rasa Shivcha Bayam, a maidservant, saw more spirituality, more godliness by the Yam than all prophets ever saw. And this ultimately, as we said, was the cause of the people being able to sing the Shira being able to praise the Almighty properly, they just saw godliness. What a level they were at now. (laughs) What is the direct result? What is the effect all this overdose of spirituality had on them? (coughs) They became entrenched in the Biza Sayam. They all of a sudden are involved now with jewels and gold and money and silver and what kind of pendulum swing is that? From one total extreme to the other. From the highest level of spirituality they sunk down now to the lowest menial level of physical coins and silver. Where does one come to the other? Where does it come off that a Jew, after seeing the revelation of the Almighty at such a level, turns around and now is interested only in gold and silver? But the question is only a trivial question. The real question is much more severe. The Jews knew They knew the mission here was to go to Matan Teda. They were going to receive the Teda on Sinai. Why tardy? Why wait now with anything? What kind of gold and silver is holding them back from going to Matan They were counting the days. They counted the 49 days from when they left Egypt till they get to Tera. So why in the middle of the counting, which is such a high, they were raising level to level, why all of a sudden 
do they bother themselves and trouble themselves with the triviality of gold and silver? So we should probably say the Jews did not want to leave the Bizas Hayom as we know it. it was not for the gold and silver itself it didn't have such a value to them they felt obviously that them collecting the Bizas Hayom must have been a godly mission. <coughs> must have been something that the Almighty wanted for them to do. And that's why forcefully Moshe had to remove them from there. The Jews did not want to leave there because they knew that this was something that had to do with the revelation from God. The revelation they had by Kriyas Yamsuf instilled in them that everything they do is for the Almighty, is what the Almighty wants them to do. One of the explanations, and probably according to Halacha, when the Jews left Egypt, there was a commandment, The Jews were to take, to go to the Egyptians, and borrow, or to take from them, the gold and the silver. As we spoke last week about Makas Cheshach. So not only that the Jews should go out very wealthy, but rather also v'nitzaltem es Mitzrayim. Empty out the Egyptians, totally. They should be void of any kind of silver and gold. And the Chazal say, the men sages tell us, totally void, left with nothing. So therefore, when the Jews saw, by Kriyas Yamsuf, there was gold and silver that belonged to the Egyptians, they said, uh oh. We didn't do the job. The Almighty warned us that we should make sure there's nothing left in Egypt. And look, lo and behold, all this gold and silver that came from Egypt now. And the Almighty insisted that we take this. Based on that, they were doing Ratzon Hashem. Wow. 
So therefore it was a chiv that they were trying to complete of an itzaltim as Mitzrayim. Empty them out. But the question still is that they held back now. They were now holding back the moment of going to Matan Torah. They were supposed to go to receive the Torah now. Where are they stopping for this now? But the fact of the matter is, there was no commandment, go to Sinai and get the Torah. They were told. When you leave Egypt, I'm telling you a story that's going to happen, a prophecy. You're going to come to this mountain. It was a story. It wasn't a commandment. So therefore, going to Harsinai cannot be deicha, cannot push off a direct command that they had till now. But it's still missing salt. You're saying that uh, the commandment to clean them out overrides the prophecy that they will go to... It, there, was no, there was no commandment otherwise. They had a commandment in hand here that they had to take care of. But this doesn't work still. Because Moshe commands them leave. Move away from here. They understood that if Moshe is telling them leave this, that Moshe... As we said before, what the leader says is what we have to do. Therefore we must understand that although going to Sinai was a commandment, still the Jews held that when it's ultimate, it was even more important. And therefore the Biza Sayyam, the reward, the, the reward and all the, the riches that were left here by the Yam was a mitzvah that they're going to lose out on. And therefore it's a mitzvah that, we're not, that we'll never be able to accomplish. Otherwise, it overrides Talmud Torah. It overrides learning of Torah. So even though Mesha commands them to leave the Yamsuf, and not to be involved what they're doing with, and that is a clear proof, because Mesha is telling them that's not what the Almighty wants them to do, Therefore, they should have rather been going to Matantera. And therefore, it had to be Balkarcham. He had to force them because they had to understand that this is what the Almighty wanted. According to now all this, 
that the Jews only were involved with the Bezos Hayom, not because they wanted it, but only because they wanted to, com- to com- complete the commandment. We understand something else now. <laughs> the Mishnah Pirkeyavis tells us, Mishiyesh leimona reitzim Anyone that has a hundred wants two hundred. What about the guy who has two hundred? He doesn't want three hundred, he wants four hundred. He just wants the more you can give me the better. The Jews were involved now in the Biza Sayyam, in all these riches that are here by the Amsuf. They're trying to collect whatever they can get together. As if they needed it. And it's so much so, they were so desperate to get it, Moshe has to force them away, pry them away from here. <coughs> First of all, where are they headed? To the desert? What are you buying in the desert? They didn't need it. They had the, they had the, uh, an aniak of it. Oil. <laughs> you know, okay, I'm going to have to break what I said before, actually. We told the story before the, told it before, actually. A fellow was very thirsty. He's walking in the desert, very thirsty. And he sees someone coming towards him. And he gets over to him and he says, to him, Water! Water! The guy's got a fancy suitcase, nice suit. He says, I'm sorry, sir, ain't got no water. But I can sell you something else. He says, what? He opens his suitcase, and it unfolds, and there's this magnificent display of neckties. I can tell you all a necktie. He says, machine, what am I doing myself? I'm dying of thirsty, what do you give me neckties? Sorry, sir, that's all I can do for you. Closes the suitcase and goes on. The fellow is now reduced to crawling. And he gets, after crawling and crawling, he reaches an oasis. And he crawls to the oasis and he gets to a table in the oasis and he pulls himself up onto the table. And he says to the waitress, Waitress, water! She looks at him and she says, I'm sorry, sir. We can't serve anyone here without a necktie. Uh, what are they doing with the money in the desert another question to buy what you needed from the nations that you had around you (coughs) they had more than enough money Chazal tell us each and every Jew that left Egypt had 90 laden donkeys with gold and silver from Egypt. Each Jew had 90 donkeys worth of gold and silver. Each one of them would have been today on the top 100 and Forbes top 400. Top 600,000. 
We would have had a top 600,000 list. <laughs> Thank you. <coughs> Who needed money? Who needed another diamond? Who needed another pearl? They were filthy rich. Another thing. The fact that the Jews were 40 years in the desert only happened because of what happened the sin of the spies. Had it not been for the sin of the spies, the regular scheduled program, as we would say, was to go from Mitzrayim to the Matantera by Harsinai, Harsinai straight into Israel. Not only straight into the Holy Land, but on a higher level of the Holy Land. They were supposed to go into the Holy Land in a Geula Nitzchis. They were supposed to be the ultimate redemption. The redemption that they would never be in exile again. They would be living with Mashiach. Who needs the money? What were they dealing and dabbling with extra money for? Therefore, now we can say that we do understand. Although they had so much and everything else, and although they were on the way to Matantera, and technically, due to Matantera, they should have been more interested in going and moving on and not being involved in all this, we can understand that the Jews meant it with an emiss. They were looking to complete what the Almighty wanted them to do, what they were commanded to do when it's to clean out and wipe out Egypt. So they didn't make any cheshben here of what this was worth. It didn't interest them how much money, what was worth, what was the value of what they were collecting here. What interests them here is to complete the Almighty's request. To do His mission. They did it b'chol levavcha b'chol nafshecha. And therefore in order to leave this mission they had to be pried away. To make it even sweeter, the concept of an Itzaltimus Mitzrayim to clean out Mitzrayim what was so important? What was such an important thing that the Jews were Yotzu B'Rechush They went out so rich. So much so that the Almighty tells them don't leave anything. But truthfully, it's slightly connected to the Baltashkas, not to waste. And it shows us also that the Teda is Chasam Amanisha Yisrael. Teda is very, very worried about the Jewish, Jewish money. Jewish money. The concept of Rechush Godel, they went out with great riches, means the sparks of spirit of holiness. 
that were found in the gold and the silver of Egypt. Once it went over into the hands of a Jew, it now became a holy item. They were able to elevate all the sparks of impurity from the lowliness of Egypt. Since the main service that we have to the Almighty is to elevate sparks of impurity in the world, and that is how we complete the reason for creation, and that is how we complete the Dira B'Tachtainim, making a dwelling place for the Almighty in this world, therefore they were able to be mevatar. They were not able to be mevatar. They could not renege on the smallest thing. Everything had to be the whole Rechush Godel. Had to be in a great quantity. And the same comes by the Bizu Sayyam. By Kriya Yamsuf. Since they knew how great their mission was of an Italtimus Mitzrayim, they knew that it was not just to destroy Egypt, but to take everything and to elevate it and to make the revelation of the Shekhinah in it. Therefore, it was able to, con- <coughs> what it was able to be the, the completion. It was able to follow up the concept of Zakeli V'Anveyu of being able to point and say this was God, of coming from the highest level of Kedusha, the highest level of prophecy, of seeing the greatest revelations of the Almighty, and to immediately involve themselves with this Mizas Hayam, which seems so menial. But it was not menial at all, it was the entire essence of their existence. (coughs) To elevate everything that happens in this world, everything that goes on in this world. And we know that everything that a Jew does, everything a Jew feels, the Abishta scrutinizes how he did this mitzvah. He did it with his full heart, they do it with his full soul, did he do it with a level that he's ready to go to self-sacrifice, to abnegation? Did he do it in a way that he was weary and prepared to exhaust himself? And this is exactly what we spoke about before, how each and every Jew accomplishes Kriyas Yamsuf in his own life. He takes from the Alma de Eskasia and brings it to Alma de Eskalia. He takes from the hidden world, the hidden emotions, those hidden fer- the hidden fervor that he has, that he wants to be connected with God, and he elevates it to the highest of levels. To such an extent that it's revealed on a constant basis. The words, I'm in love with the one above, resonate throughout everything that he does. Not just when he prays, not just when he sings out to the Almighty, the words of the prayer of the Tehillim, but in every nuance and every action that a person takes throughout his daily life, it has to be recognizable that he's in love with the one above. 
I'm not going to actually finish the Sikha itself. I have to mention also this Shabbos is Tu Bishvat. Tu Bishvat Ilanot. This Shabbos is the Rosh Hashanah for the trees. Happy birthday trees. See to it that we eat fruits to make Shekhyonu. That those that keep 15 fruits in conjunction with Tu Bishvat, which is the 15th day of the month. There's also a custom, as you all know, Shabbos Shira, which is not necessarily a Chabad custom, that Arab Shabbos we put out food for the birds, kasha. We put out buck, what's it called? Why don't you give it to the people? Why don't you give it to the... Put it out for the birds because the birds did a tremendous deed. Where is he running? No. The tremendous deed that the birds did for the Jews when the people wanted to show that they can leave their mun outside their tent on Shabbos and they will get again mun on Shabbos. Where Moshe said on Friday, collect your double portion so Shabbos you don't have to collect. They wanted to disprove Moshe. And they wanted to put their mun outside on Shabbos so people should think that they're collecting again. And the birds came and they ate all the money they put out so that they did not, God forbid, cause a chil Hashem or did not in any which way humiliate Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore, to help to, to pay back the birds for what they have done, this kasha put out on Arab Shabbos. Anyone that has anything to discuss after the shir, you can text, call, or you can contact me here. We are hoping, anticipating that this Shabbos, Tu Bishvat, we will again sing the tenth shira, the tenth song, which will be with the song that we sing with Mashiach, as we already have the shira in the, in the Parsha, and shira's Devera in the Haftarah, we should be merit. We should merit to be able to sing the tenth shira, which would be the shira with Mashiach Tzidkenu. Shabbat Shalom to all.